Are you an adventurer looking to take your hunt to the next level? Then you're in the right place. Welcome to East Meets West Hunt with your host, Bo Martonic. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the East Meets West Hunt podcast presented by Spartan Forge. On today's episode, I am joined by an extremely successful and hardworking whitetail hunter, Mike Perry. Mike is from Pennsylvania, has proven what it takes to be consistently successful over the years hunting big woods, swamps. We discuss a lot of topics in this episode, including postseason scouting, terrain features in flatland, buck and doe bedding areas, hunting creek bottoms, stories from past successful hunts, and the top lessons learned he has learned from over the years. 100% born in the Appalachian Mountains and made in the USA, Timber Ninja Outdoors provides a range of mobile hunting options to accommodate diverse hunting preferences. Whether you prioritize comfort, lightweight design, or versatility, their two-panel and single-panel saddles collection has something for everyone. The Black Belt Nano is the lightest single-panel saddle available on the market, weighing in under a pound. The saddle is designed with the minimalist hunter in mind, focusing on lightweight functionality and breathability. One notable feature is the patent-pending magnetic stick clip system on the side, which allows for convenient transportation of sticks up the tree, as well as a built-in platform holder. The Nano Saddle can be folded up to the size of a Nalgene bottle, enabling easy portability. With a four-way stretch material on the back for a comfortable fit, as well as strategically placed padding for hip pinch relief. You can use code EASTMEETSWEST to get free shipping on any Timber Ninja order. If you try it out and don't like it, send it back within 30 days for a full refund. Learn more at TimberNinjaOutdoors.com and sign up for their email newsletter for exclusive discounts and product drops. When it comes to optics, I get the same question over and over again. What are the best all-around binoculars? Well, it's tough to find something that works in every condition great, but after using a pair of Maven B1.2 10x42s, I think I found them. They feature an 8x or a 10x option, superior low light performance, tack sharp edge to edge clarity, a generous depth of field, and a silky focus mechanism. All of Maven Optics have a lifetime no fault warranty and hail from the great state of Wyoming. I've been using Maven Optics since I bought my first pair in 2017, and I think you should test them out for yourself. Head over to mavenbuilt.com and use the code EASTMEETSWEST-GIFT for a free gift with any full-price optics order. For all of those that want a truck bed cover for work or play, Diamondback makes the top-of-the-line heavy-duty covers that help you do more with your truck. They're perfect for the truck-owning, avid sportsmen, outdoor enthusiasts, and weekend project warriors. I'm currently using the HD cover that can is capable of holding up to 1,600 pounds on the top. And then I have the Yakima overhaul HD bars on top, so I can put my rooftop tent on it. When I'm not using my rooftop tent and able to use the trifold design of the Diamondback, I have the Crossbin 8 in there to organize all of my stuff in the back of my truck bed. Diamondback is made right here in Phillipsburg, Pennsylvania. If you want to check them out, head over to diamondbackcovers.com. If you've wanted that hunting camp tradition that we talk about, that experience, but you don't have a hunting camp of your own, you're welcome to come stay at my hunting camp up here in the Pennsylvania wilds called the Elk Crossing Getaway in the PA wilds. So if you go over to Airbnb, you can check out our three-bedroom, one-and-a-half bath 
house that's right in the heart of Pennsylvania elk country. It's only minutes away from a bunch of public land to be able to hunt, hiking trails, outdoor recreation, fishing, all of those things there. The house is completely fully stocked with everything that you need to be able to, to spend a week hunting deer, taking your family up to see the elk, anything like that. So if you head over to Airbnb and search Elk Crossing Getaway in the PA Wilds, you'll find my listing there and you can rent out my house. You send us a message, an inquiry that you're interested in it and mention that you heard it on the podcast here, then we'll get you 10% off of your first day. On this week's Mountain Buck Monday story of the week, it comes from Jameson Grady out of Maine. And Jameson, this is, first of all, this is Jameson's second time in two years writing in with an absolute main giant. So Jameson says, I didn't think I would top my mountain buck story from last season, but passing younger bucks and persistence paid off again. Amazing last day rifle season in the big woods of Maine. Finally got snow again in an area I've tracked bucks before. Well, two different buck tracks, two mountains. Two cross dirt roads, 8 to 10 miles, and 8 hours later, I met up with this guy chasing a doe. I was just about to quit on the track and call it a year, but pushed on, and glad I did. He was 196-pound, 11-point. This is a, a really cool deer. You can check it out. Uh, he's got 11 points, as he said, some kickers coming off it. If you go to East Meets West Hunt on Instagram or East Meets West Outdoors on Facebook, give it a like and follow, and uh, check out the the post there and submit your entry to mountain buck monday by sending an email to bow at eastmeetswesthunt.com or just filling in the contact us form on the website all right so in other news before we get into this this episode here postseason scouting is definitely in full effect the snow is melted here in pennsylvania and been out uh quite a bit checking out some areas I've been picking up a few sheds along the way, but uh, really trying to gain some intel, pulling some cameras, and just seeing what sign has been laid down and try to put together some pieces of the puzzle. Um, it's uh, I'm, I've been trying to figure out uh, been trying to figure out one deer specifically, and uh, struggling <laughs> to figure out where he's coming from. He's just not laying down the sign that that hoped for, but I, I have some ideas of what looks good uh, i'll run some cameras you know come come summer and fall and try to figure out where he's coming from i think uh i think if i you know put enough time into this i'll, I'll be able to to get on him but it's been it's been quite a few years uh watching this deer and trying to trying to understand it but as i'm sure a lot of you know like areas i almost I almost despise sometimes areas that that have a lot of oak trees um, because if there's a change in oak crop, it can change so much their annual patterns versus what they've done, you know, years prior. But really, it just takes once you start learning an area and understanding what other food sources they divert to, what other browse, all that kind of stuff, it can um, can change things. So. And in addition, like this area had a new logging cut that went in last year, a big one, and that changed everything as well, which is, is going to be good, but it's just trying to learn and change what, you know, what these patterns have changed from, from what I knew before that, uh, it's just a constant, 
you know, adapting and, and trying to figure it out, but it's, it's the best time of year. I mean, I, I have kind of coined the phrase, you know, like the three year strategy when it comes to looking in areas. And I was just talking to my dad about it when we were scouting over the weekend together, you know, it's like we went into a new spot and it's like, you're just struggling to find and sign, you know, some stuff was good, but it, it was hard to confirm. It's like, man, this, you, you don't figure this out the first time you go into an area. It takes time. And, and I think that's such a, uh, important thing to note. And you'll hear, Mike talk about it in this podcast and how it's, you know, he's learned so much over the years and just paying attention to things and, and noting it and, and moving forward. So if, uh, I just kind of wanted to share that with you guys, that has been on my mind and, and, um, yeah, just fresh my mind from, from scouting, I guess, uh, mountain buck scouting camp for everybody that signed up that's coming up. April 9th and 10th. Excited about that. Still can't believe how quickly it sold out. Um, for everyone that's going to be there, added a whole bunch of things that I didn't advertise. Going to be giving away a lot of cool stuff. Um, going to be having a pretty sweet um, burger lunch that's going to be served um so that's that's going to be that's going to be pretty awesome and that one is is gunner emberg who works for tact calories has has offered to come and do some cooking and stuff there so i'm really i'm really excited about how that camp's going to work out i've been working on all the material and and how we're going to do this and having johnny stewart and greg litzinger and my dad there kenny kane uh, Bill Thompson, Spartan Forge, Taylor Chamberlain from Tethered, all these people there to be able to to be able to converse with and just have a good like deer camp feel to the scouting camp. So that, that's going to be awesome. Um, I will, if everything goes well, be definitely looking to do more um, next year as that that comes through. But anyways, I appreciate everybody listening and checking this out. If you would please uh, like the episode, you like the podcast, please give it a rating and review wherever you listen to it. Helps out so much. Share it with your friends. Tag me in it if you share it on social media. Again, that just helps out so much. I appreciate everybody that's been doing that. So uh, with that being said, let's uh, jump into this episode with Mike Perry. All right, we're live. Mike Perry, welcome to the show. Hi, nice, nice to be on. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited to, to get to talk to you. We were chatting a little bit on the phone here prior, and a message back and forth on, on Facebook, and uh, got two Pennsylvania guys on here to talk deer hunting. So I'm excited. Yeah, me too. Yeah, and Mike, you've, you've been. Uh, it's, it's funny because you've you've uh gotten some exposure over the the last few years and uh but you're you're very uh accomplished hunter all around and uh over the last however many years that you've been hunting it seems like and uh i watched uh, you know your episode of uh, white tail cribs and i've heard tales of you in the in the past there so it's 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 a pleasure to be able to to get the chat well, yeah, I'm glad to be on. I've been listening to your podcast for a long time. It's one of my favorite ones, so I feel like I made the big time. <laughs> well, yeah, that's that's awesome. And and so, Mike, I'd love love to hear a little bit of a uh, uh, background on on who you are and kind of how you got into to hunting a little bit. 
Um, okay, well, I'm, I'm a supervisor for uh, transportation and distribution of the newspaper, and uh, um, I've been in hunting since 1977 when I was 12. So it gives you my age there, but uh, <laughs> yeah, my, my 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 grandparents um, had um, property out here, and uh, my grandpa started taking me hunting when I was 12, and you know, I kind of started honing the hunting skills because he kind of like the bow hunt, although he had just like a permanent stand he had built in a tree, you know, so he like just went to there and he just was, you know, enjoying himself being up in a tree with a bow. So he'd let me, you know, uh, what, what the statute of limitations are on 12 year olds walking around with a shotgun, but he'd let me you know, <laughs> hunt squirrels. He, he'd let me hunt squirrels, you know, so I really learned how to stock up on stuff at a young age, you know, and I think that really all helped me out, you know, as I got, I got older into hunting and all that and got into the bow hunting. I started that around, uh, 86. I started bow hunting pretty, pretty hard. That's when I first started shooting the compound and, uh, you know, and, and I, I liked it. So I got, I got the shakes so bad on the first buck that came in on me and it was just one of my first couple sets. I didn't know what I was doing. And uh, I got the shake so bad, I just wanted more of it. So and then the next year, I was hunting Ohio, New York, and PA all three states so, <laughs> by 87. Oh, wow. That's that's crazy. So I, how old were you at that point when you started uh, you know, hunting multiple it, states there? I was 22 in 1987. So that's when I really started getting into it and you know, just really started pouring all my time into, into scouting and stuff. I mean, I, 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 all you had back then was, I, I didn't really know anybody who was, uh, you know, a, a, I guess bow hunter or a real good deer hunter. I mean, my uncles and my grandpa, you know, they, they would go deer hunting. You know, my dad went like once or twice in my life that I remember, but, but they didn't, you know, they'd go on the first day and maybe the first Saturday and, you know, they, they weren't serious about it. So I didn't, you know, have anybody to learn from other than just, you know, the deer myself, you know, being out in the woods, walking around you know, reading articles and magazines and stuff like that, you know, wasn't much in the way of videos back then other than maybe the Wenzel brothers or something like that. Maybe Primos might've been around, but you know, so, uh, that's what I did. I just would read articles, try to, you know, sift through, read the tea leaves and figure out what's bull crap and (laughs) what isn't, what would work for me and what wouldn't, you know, and just trial and error. It's been, it's been, you know, whatever it is now, 30 something years of trial and error. Yeah. It's, so. it's funny. I, I had a similar kind of path of growing up with, um, going over to my, my grandfather's house lived like right down the road and from, from my parents and where I grew up at. And, uh, so I, mm-hmm. as a young kid, I was over there, I was actually, uh, visiting with my grandpa the other day and he was, he had some pictures up on the wall of us as me and my brothers as really young kids. And he's talking about, he's like, yeah, he's like, I had you guys run around the yard hunting squirrels and everything else way before <laughs> that your parents even knew that you knew how to shoot a gun. And, uh, <laughs> and it was, awesome. uh, yeah, I, I, I loved, uh, thinking about, I remember going over there as a kid and, and, uh, just like, yeah, like you said, just sitting there waiting by the trees for the squirrels to come out and, and doing all it just, everything else and again i'm not sure of the legality of most of it but uh <laughs> probably probably not at that <laughs> yeah at that no, the, point. Funny, the funny thing about that is every every single time i shot at a squirrel my grandpa claimed that there was a buck walking in that i that ran off because i shot the shotgun even if i was like you know a quarter of a mile away from him it's still, yeah but unfortunately he passed away in like 85 so he never got the 
see you know the stuff i did but yeah yeah, yeah. see see as you uh definitely expanded from that point and uh you know grew mm-hmm. into it and it's i'm i'm interested to hear you know when when you were reading you know all those magazines and stuff back then how much of it actually applied to like how you were hunting or was it was a lot of it like okay this doesn't really apply to to the areas that i'm hunting or the style i'm hunting yeah you know i mean a lot of it you could use but it wasn't you know because when you don't really know what you're doing you take every at least i took everything that it was this is how it has to be done and 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 you know tried to do it that way like you know rattling or you know calling or hunting scrapes or rubs or rub lines and all these other things that they talk about and uh you know yeah you could all use all that but it just didn't tell you how to how to use it you know and a lot of it like calling you know i mean you you're, you live in pa it, it, for me it doesn't i mean it works i guess your dad's had good luck with it, yeah. but, <laughs> but i just you know i just i just never really had a lot of, of luck calling in Pennsylvania other than maybe some smaller deer, but, um, yeah, so like that didn't really work out for me, but you know, it, it, it did help, you know, it helped, helped me give me a foundation to what to start looking for. And then I just, you know, on my own through trial and error and through, you know, I did, I, I, luckily i started doing lots of scouting, you know, when I was young, I would, I would be out, you know, my twenties, I was always out walking around the woods post-season, you know, scouting and, and, and summertime glassing and, you know, way before there was trail cameras, you know, mm-hmm. and, uh, just learning how to read sign, you know, looking for, for tracks and, and, you know, rubs and scrapes and just bedding areas, all that stuff, you know, you, you learn where the deer are going to be just through trial and error and walking, I mean, boots on the ground. Yeah. And so. how crazy is that? It's like, uh, you know, and I, I still, um, um, I still get to to do a decent amount of of walking and, and scouting, especially you know in the spring and everything. But I I really remember like when I got out of college and like any time that it was daylight out that I wasn't at work or or had some other obligation. It's just like being in the woods and walking around. Cause I, I remember when I was reading a lot of those magazines and I'd like, I'd go to my dad and I'd be like, dad, look like this, you know, this guy wrote about this and this is, you had to, you had to do this and, and, you know, to a T and he's like trying to kind of <laughs> tell me like, Oh, like, you know, that's, that's good information. But like, you know, that doesn't necessarily a hundred percent apply to, you know, fall in those exact steps to doing so. I'm like, no, no, no. Like this, this guy's, you know, he shot this 180 inch deer in this magazine. Like this has got to be, <laughs> but, uh, it, uh, <laughs> you know, it took, it took some, took some learning there to, to be able to be like, hey, a lot of, a lot of it, you know, whether you hear it on, you know, this podcast or anything else is, taking some things that you can pull from it but really learning how to how to read that sign and apply it to your own area because every everywhere is different exactly you always got to be willing to to learn and listen to what other people are saying because like i'm just still constantly learning things you know that uh, that um you know even though after 35 years of bow hunting or whatever you you always learn a new stuff that's why i listen to these podcasts because you could pick up one nugget, you know, that, that, that may help you someday. And part of the reason why I'll agree to do these, um, every now and then is because, you know, young guys coming up, you know, they, they need to hear from people who've experienced it for a long time. You know, the learning curve much, much greater nowadays, you know, people can learn a lot more, you know, quicker 
than when I did when I was a kid. <laughs> and, you know, so I like uh, I, I wish that someone would have been doing stuff like this when I was in my twenties. Would have made things a little easier on me, but yeah. You know, so just... <laughs> no, that's that's funny. And when so when you know you talk about you were talking a lot about you know scouting and stuff there and and just walking around and and boots on the ground and how how has that changed for you like over the years and how you've had experience? Are you still scouting as much as you used to? Has um is that scaled back because you know that you become you know I guess smarter with some of those things and you. you being able to identify places to go to or how, how has that changed for you? Well, I, I definitely don't do as much of it as I used to because I've not, I mean, back when I was younger, I was always going to new spots constantly, like a lot of different new spots. Cause I really craved, you know, learn, I, I, I like, I'd get a smile on my face when I got, when I got out of the truck and started walking somewhere I'd never been before. And, and, and I, and I just, don't do that as much nowadays because I've narrowed down, you know, to some really good areas. I mean, I try to find things that work for me and, and then duplicate that. So I have fresh spots and stuff like that. But I guess I'm saying I, I don't, I don't hunt as many new properties as I used to. So I don't, I don't do as much scouting as I was doing back then. Cause back then I was like, every friggin' day I'm out there scouting, you know, and I don't, I don't do that anymore. Plus, you know, now I have kids that are 12 and 13 and they're involved in sports and stuff like that. So it, it takes, it takes a lot of time up, you know, so, um, definitely don't as much, um, you know, as I used to, but yeah, um, I don't know if I answer your question. No, <laughs> that's no, you, you, you definitely did. And, and like, let's, but, uh, so you, we were talking a little bit beforehand, you were talking about, you know, wanting to get out this weekend and, and, and getting out and scouting and stuff more. So what's that, what's that kind of look like for you now? Do you just try to hone in on some of those spots you've been in, maybe pick up a few sheds? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I don't really shed hunt per se. Like I, I mean, I have, you know, went out just looking for sheds before I, I kind of like to scout and not really worry about the sheds and like, and what if I find them, that's a bonus, you know? Yeah. But, uh, you know, it, I, I, I definitely, um, I'm looking for, I, well, anyways, I guess with the snow on the ground and stuff like that, uh, people think that, or I've heard guys saying that, you know, it's winter scouting or postseason scouting isn't really that beneficial because, need the most recent information or whatever. But to me, um, because I hunt a lot of flat terrain, you know, with our, I mean, especially in Northeast Ohio where I hunt at, it's really flat, you know? So it's real, it, it's real important for me to see how the deer use the terrain, you know? So when there's snow on the ground, it really makes it a lot easier. And, and even though those deer might not be, you know, um, there all year long, you know, in that same same spot you're 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 still going to see how they use the train how they travel through the area and that's just you know my my opinion real important to know when it's time to be hunting for them you know what i mean so yeah have you ever wanted to have levi morgan andy may johnny stewart and others available at all times well you can with cyber scout from spartan forge cyber scout is like the chat gpt for outdoors men and women you can ask it any questions related to bow building, scouting, hunting, survival, and a whole lot more. I think you'll be impressed with how it responds. Cyber Scout is currently out now for a select group of early beta testers and will be available to the rest of you really soon. The entire app is a complete tool for planning your hunt with incredible aerial imagery mapping, journaling, deer prediction, and some of the most accurate and detailed weather data. 
Use the code EASTMEETSWEST to save 20%. And if you're still on the fence, give the 14-day free trial a chance at SpartanForge.ai. CVA has been America's number one selling muzzleloader brand for over a decade. Hunting with a muzzleloader opens up a ton of hunting opportunities across the U.S., and I've been using the Acura series. But they don't only make badass muzzleloaders. Their line of centerfire rifles are great quality and not terrible on the wallet. The Cascade short barrel is ideal for tight quarters, deer drives, and quick shots in the big woods. You can check out their line of muzzleloaders, rifles, and accessories for every season and every range at bpioutdoors.com CVA. If you use the code EASTMEETSWEST10, you'll get 10% off of all CVA products, which includes rifles, muzzleloaders, and accessories. Let's go out in the postseason, look for all the old sign. Once the snow's gone, you can see where all the rough and scrape is. I'm, I'm, I'm always, even though I'm, I'm hunting more of the same areas nowadays than, than you know, back when I was younger, I still want to know everything that's going on. So I, I try to walk everything, you know, that I can in, in the public places in PA that I hunt and in the three farms that I hunt in Ohio. Yeah. And, and so when you're, when you do, uh, when you, when you are out there, you know, scouting and you said something that, uh, kind of resonated me with me there, you know, about postseason postseason scouting, which is something I'm passionate about and believe in. Like, so do you, do you find that like a lot of that data and that stuff that you're, or the stuff that you're finding in that sign is something that repeats itself? Like almost like, you know, that historical data is helpful for years to come and it's not, you know, only the, the freshest sign that you're finding. Oh yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I found some of the best air, uh, bedding areas that I know of in, in the wintertime and, you know, um, and, and, a, and a lot of, uh, you know, travel corridors, you know, low spots that deer will, will move through and, and how they work through thicker, the bigger bucks, you know, and you can follow the tracks in the snow and you can see how they work through the, the thicker, you know, um, areas within an area, you know what I mean? And, and yeah, kind of avoid the more open stuff. So, you know, I learned a lot of that by scouting in the wintertime, you know, um, I don't, I don't walk a lot of open timber in, in the winter, just around here, just for the fact that it's so thick around here, you know, the deer don't really need to be out in the open. Most of the places I hunt are really, really thick. There's, there's bedding all over the place, you know yeah. what I mean? So you need to know every spot where, where they might hole up, you know, and then, and then you just go back there in the season. You want to, you want to scout there in the season too. I mean, that's the most important thing you want, you know what I mean? You gotta, you gotta keep, um, keep up on everything. I like to go in right before the season and, you know, go through real quick and, and check out and see what's going on. And then, you know, you know, check cameras, stuff like that. Of course, everyone's doing that. But um, and then, you know, throughout the season, you know, you, you have to keep on top of what the fresh sign is, because, you know, a lot of these bucks that I'm hunting are only there for a couple of days out throughout the year. And now that I have cameras out, you know, I'm learning that, you know, over the years, years ago, I, I never knew that you find big sign. And you're thinking, oh, this big bucks here. You know, why isn't he coming in? Where's he at? Oh, it's because he doesn't even live around there. You know what I mean? That's yeah. why he's not coming in. But yeah, you figure that all out, you know, through through the, the cameras and you know all the scouting and you know all year long, basically. Yeah, and, and One, uh, what my my red scouting regimen, I guess, would be postseason boot on boots on the ground, trying to you know decipher, you know, just go through everything as much as much as I can, and then in the summertime, I'm running cameras on in in places that aren't invasive you know i don't get the glass as much anymore because i work nights 
so it's 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 tough on that. And then the, my day, my nights off, you know, I spend with the kids. So, but uh, and then you know, and once once the fall comes around, then I, you know, start doing a little scouting for sign again, and then just hunt morning, scout the afternoon, hunt evenings, you know, until the rut comes, and I'll hunt all day. Ah, that that makes sense. And w- one thing that you just said there was was really really important, and it's a question I get asked quite a bit. Is like, okay, what if you find areas that are thick all over you know and and what you were saying about using the winter and using you know falling tracks and figuring out kind of where they're holding up like that's that's such a that's such good information because it is it's it is difficult when you're in you know whether you know whether you're in flat ground whether you're in um you know steeper terrain and when you when you have big timber mixed with bottoms and swamps and all that kind of stuff a lot of it's thick so it's not like you can look at you know, some traditional farm country that might have, okay, there's a thicket here. That's where they're bedding at. And it's, it's a lot, it's a lot harder to, to be able to figure that out sometimes. Yeah. Now if you're in the Midwest and my, my hunting in the Midwest is is basically, I guess if you consider Ohio, the Midwest, (laughs) but Northeast Ohio is 35 miles from my house. So I don't consider it the Midwest, but, (laughs) but, um, you know, but so the, the kind of properties that I've always hunted have always been you know, thicker properties. Cause I, I, I look for that, you know, whether it's public or private or whatever, I like to hunt places that have Creek systems and swamps going through them and, you know, beaver dams and, and, and all that stuff, you know, and, and, and the thing with this flat land around here is uh, now where I live, there's a little bit of rolling Hills, but like, especially over in Ohio, is, you know, I hear these guys always talking about, you know, how important terrain features are, you know, in the mountains, you know, with points yep. and benches and, you know, all this stuff, which I don't, I don't hunt hill country like that, you know, but, um, you know, I think it terrain features are even more important on flatland because when, when you find anything that's different on flatland, it's going to be where the deer are going to go. They're going to, they're traveling through there. You know, if you're finding low spots, uh, um, old creek beds that are washed out or, or some little humps, you know, they're going to bet on those, you know, but they're going to travel to low spots and they're, I'm assuming they're taking advantage of, you know, thermal pools and stuff like that, you know, traveling them lower areas or just staying concealed, you know, and then they, so, you know, you, you, when you have that thick, you know, real thick property all over the place, you find those little, those little low spots and places where they like the, like the rugs, you know, and then, you know, you got something when the season comes around. Yeah. And, and those places are, are, aren't easy to identify, you know, on a map or anything. Like it's hard to, to aerial yeah, but, scout those places without actually getting the boots on the ground like you're talking about to be able to see it yeah to be quite honest with you i i I don't do a whole lot of map scouting i mean i I hear people talking about it all the time now if i was hunting you know in an anf all the time yeah i would i would be doing that you know what i mean but because but around here you got to walk around because i I, i'm primarily a rut hunter i've I've always been that way i'm always looking for you know pinch points and funnels and bedding areas associated with that like if there's bedding close to some sort of funnel or pinch point and because it's flat you can't see it from an aerial photo so you got to walk and, and look for it because you could have a funnel in you know almost you know unbroken brush and timber or whatever it's just something that funnels deer down so that's the type of thing i'm looking for i'm looking for you know funnels and pinch points of course you know sign but a lot of times you know as far as like rubs go i don't put a whole lot into that all the time because i don't think you know that uh that's reliable that 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 they're always coming through there 
I'd rather, you know, since I'm hunting in the rut and I'm, and I'm hunting, you know, shooting a lot of my deer later in the morning or midday or whatever, you know, I'm, I'm sitting all day. So I want to be somewhere where deer are going to funnel through like off a beaver levee or on a bend in a creek and an oxbow in a creek or, you know, just somewhere where, you know, deer have to travel through to get from point A to point B, you know, and, and, you know, if there's bedding, um, especially, you know, doe bedding and doe traveling through those areas, then, you know, those are the places I'm going to concentrate on. That's what I'm looking for. And I'm scouting, I'm trying to find as many places that I can put, you know, everything in my favor, the access, you know, to get in without disturbing the deer, maybe water access, whatever. That's what I'm, the stuff I'm looking for is this places where I can go where there's not going to be other hunters bother me and where the deer feel comfortable moving through where they're funneling through. Yeah, no, that, that makes sense. And so, you know, you mentioned about, you mentioned does and, you know, and bedding there. How, how much, how important is it to, for you with, you know, finding doe bedding, um, versus trying to find like buck bedding areas? Well, it seems like a lot of times they bet in, in the same areas. Uh, um, but no, it's very important. In fact, like when I, uh, go through my pictures and I've noticed this before, like I taught, I, I tried to mentor some younger guys, um, on, on hunting and, and they're all about cameras nowadays, which, you know, I mean, I love the cameras too, you know, but you, you've got to take note of the does that are on your cameras just, just as well as you do the bucks. Because, you know, a lot of times I'll leave cameras out. If, if, when I am looking for new areas, especially on like public land, I'll leave cameras out and I'll leave them there. Mostly, you know, like unmolested the whole season. Like I won't go in there the first year. I'll, I'll go hunt it the next year if everything looks good on, on <laughs> you know, with the data on the pictures. And what I'm looking for, not only am I looking for, you know, did any mature bucks walk through here, but I'm mainly concerned. Are there does coming through here in daylight? Are there does moving through here at nighttime? Because, you know, or, or, or you know, are there, are there does bedding close to here? And uh, because if you're hunting in a rut all day long, of course, you know, everyone knows, you know, chances are a buck could come walking right down that trail after them does come through, you know? Mm-hmm. So the, that, that's the, I do like to pay attention to the doe bedding and the photos, you know? Yeah. You know, and, and yeah, it's, it's, it's funny. Like, and so I have, I have a similar strategy with cameras. I was just talking to someone uh, recently. I was like, I still have, you know, we're in the end of February here and I still have upwards of 30 cameras in the woods. And, you know, some of them are, I've like a couple areas that are brand new that I, I actually set out some of them last spring when I was scouting. And mm-hmm. you, there's some risk that's involved with leaving them out as far as them not operating the whole time. But just, I just let them soak. I'm like, I'll, I want to learn that information and see if it's worthwhile putting my time of hunting into, into those places, you know, g- going forward. So that's, it's, that's interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's, it's, uh, you know, and with, especially when you're hunting the rut and like I, up to this point that this year I killed my Pennsylvania deer early, but for the most part I've killed just about all my deer during the rut. And I think a lot of people are in that situation just because you are, if you have, you know, say, a week that you can take off of work, you want to increase your odds the best, the best that you can. That's the whole reason why I basically call myself a rut hunter. I mean, I, when I was younger and I had more time because I was working a first shift job and I was the manager there and, you know, maybe I could get out a little bit early if I needed to, you know, I was hunting every single solitary day, you know, seven days <laughs> a week for the whole archery season. And, yeah. uh, you know, back then I would hunt all of October, but 
back then, you know, we didn't really have bigger bucks around this area of Pennsylvania and the bucks in New York weren't, you know, really nothing to brag about. So I would use October to fill doe tags and, and shoot, you know, the first decent buck in New York or PA that came by me. And then I would concentrate on trying to shoot a big buck in Ohio. So I, I, I spent a lot of years kind of wasting Octobers, you know, I mean, I, I wasn't wasting them because it, it taught me how to be a, you know, a killer with a bow, you know what I mean? Because I killed yeah. tons of deer with a bow and that was good for when a big buck did come in. But, you know, now that, um, I've, you know, the last 10 or 15 years with, the, you know, the trail camera use, I see how valuable October can be, you know, especially scrapes in October, you know, um, mid to mid to late October, you know, and, and I get a lot of big bucks daylight in October, but I just haven't been able to capitalize on that yet because my boys play football and they're both, you know, I, I've been going to all their practices, all their games, you know, they're in two different divisions. And, and so this year I, I won't, uh, be going to the practices anymore because now the youngest ones at the age where they've been all allowed the parents to come anymore. So I'll get to uh, hopefully capitalize on a big buck in, in October this year. Oh, anyway, we'll see what happens, but I got a lot of data on a few different bucks that, you know, I'm getting pictures of them on scrapes in daylight, you know, that 22nd, 23rd, 24th, 21st, mm-hmm. you know, just like, man, if I'd have been there instead of football practice, I'd have probably shot that deer, but, you know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I know it, it is funny because like, I feel like, I feel like, like no matter what part of the year, if you were like to focus like a week and hunt at that time, like you, you'd get to figure it out kind of almost like you do with the, the rut, you know, if you had that time to be able to do it. And that's like, I, mm-hmm. I, you know, I haven't killed many deer in October. Just, I just don't hunt that much in October just from work and everything else. And like, I, th- I feel like if, if you put that time in like that, that you, you can figure it out. It's just, little bit different strategy i guess yeah no it's a great time to be out and you know i've killed a ton of deer in october unfortunately they're all little bucks and does you know (laughs) but but you know i i you know i will definitely get be getting into that more um here but yeah like you say the rut is just you know there's it's a more target rich environment in november i mean uh, someone was asking me about that today on on messenger a friend um that i've met through hunting and you know, he's asking, well, when would you take vacation or, you know, something to that effect? And you know, I've shot most of my nicer bucks with a bow the second through the fourth of November. And then like the 10th through the 14th and like the day, like the seventh, the sixth and the seventh are usually good. So, you know, I've just had way more luck killing mature bucks that first couple of weeks in November, you know, uh, basically because that's when I'm mainly hunting for, yeah. for probably no other reason than that. You know what I mean? That's what I've mm. concentrated on. And that's when I get them. So you know yeah no that's it's it that is that is funny because that's yeah it, it, the more time you have in the woods and and something you also said there about like that midday um that you have a lot of luck in the midday and that's mm-hmm. i i've been burned so many times when i was younger of not listening to my dad when i'd get cold and climb down at 11 in the morning and have mm-hmm. I've had it where the worst case scenario is you can think of where I'm halfway down the sticks and here comes a buck in or 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 uh yeah. when you know start using cameras more and you know there's me walking out head down trying to get back to the <laughs> the truck and then you know 45 minutes later here comes a buck cruising through and and uh, I when it's the rut it takes a lot for me to try to get out of the tree like I I need to I need to sit there all day. 
Yeah, I've been blessed with patience. That's one thing I can say. I mean, I, I can sit from sun up to sundown, and I've I've been after particular bucks before, and 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 done that for days in a row because I just knew I was in the spot that he was going to come through, and I was going to get him. You know, but I also, you know, if if you're hunting all day long, you know, the wind isn't always going to be right. You know, so I I do move around. You know, that's one of the you know great things is you know uh, when you're hunting mobile, you know, th- then you. Uh, you can, you can do that, you know? So yeah. that, that's, that's what I do. I, I, I may sit all day long or I may sit until, you know, 10, 11, whatever, and then scout around a little bit to, and then find another spot and set up there. You know, I've shot deer doing that several times. So, By just making those minor adjustments. Just making moves. Yeah. Just moving around, looking for sign and, and, and setting back up. And I've done that a couple of times, not long after I've, I've set up in the tree. You know, and maybe, you know, three, 400 yards away from where I was originally hunting and just get up in the tree and, and have, have a buck come in that, you know, that, that I, that I wanted to shoot. Now I haven't, haven't done that yet with a, a particular buck that I've been hunting it, but just, you know, in Pennsylvania on like public on, you know, just a, 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 a good buck for public land around here. I've had that happen a few times like that. Do you, I've been do hunting you... specific bucks a lot lately. And How's that, you know, it's <laughs> a whole different ball game, you know? So. Yeah. That's, that's a, that's a tough thing to do. If you, how, what, what have you found with hunting a specific deer? Like, do you, do you feel like you enjoy doing that more? What's, what's your, been ex- your experience with it? You know, I, I, I like it for the fact that, um, I like having, you know, the, the, the years of data with, with the deer and the, the pictures and the encounters and all that, that's great, but it's also very frustrating. You know, I've had, you know, one buck in particular in Ohio that, you know, just, you know, haven't been able to, to catch up to him. And I haven't gotten a picture of him since the last, uh, November 8th. So I, I don't know. He was daylight and chasing around the doe. And, you know, <laughs> there's a lot of hunting pressure in Northeast Ohio. So he, he may very well be dead or he may have just found a better place to be. But yeah, it, it, it can be very frustrating, but it's rewarding when you get him. I have, been lucky enough to kill a couple that I was after for several years, you know, and, uh, you know, it's, there's no, there's nothing like it when you finally kill one that you've been shooting, you know, trying to shoot for three years. The one buck I, I, I started noticing them in 2012 and started hunting for him in like 2014 and ended up killing him in 2018. And he was eight and a half years old. So like, that was, a, you know, that was, that, that, that was like a very good experience, you know, very re- rewarding you know, so that was, that's what I've been trying to, to uh, get that feeling again the last couple of years, but it hasn't worked out on a particular book yet. <laughs> so the, that, Shot that nice be... bucks over the last few years, but just not the, not, not the exact buck that I wanted to, you know, basically. Yeah. Then that, that deer that you said you chased, you know, basically having photos on 2012 and then killing them in 2018. What, what, mm-hmm. what did you learn about that deer? Like when you were hunting them, like how, why do you think you ended up connecting with him at the end i'd love to love to hear about that is that the one that well i think i might have heard a little bit is this the the buck that you called super freak no that was the one with the drop time was super freak this was a bot okay. hog i called him so, oh, bot yeah. hog. okay okay bot I gotcha. yeah. <laughs> yeah well uh, I, I i basically i learned a lot of, well I, I learned that he liked to walk past my my setups you know either the day before or the day after i was there i learned that for sure <laughs> but um <laughs> But he, he always, you know, what, what, what he taught me was that, you know, he didn't like to cooperate with the wind I needed. He only wanted to walk on the wind that he needed. 
you know, and, 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 and it finally sunk in, you know, through looking at photos of him for years of, you know, him coming through an area when I thought he would come in, you know, with a certain wind or that wind I, I, I needed for my access and for my stand setup. And he would come in on the totally freaking opposite wind. And I'd be like, what the hell is wrong with this deer? You know, why can't he cooperate? But finally I I figured out, you know, he, he liked to travel certain, you know, and I've noticed this with a couple of, of, of older bucks that I've been hunting in Ohio that they like to travel either like North, South or South, North, you know, with, uh, from the, you know, when I'm saying from the North to the South or from the South to the North, maybe at a little bit of an angle, you know, say North West down to the Southeast or whatever. And they, um, you know, we'll travel with, uh, you know, a crosswind a lot of times. And that way, you know, when they're coming down that crick system, they can basically smell everything that's in that square, you know? So they don't, they're, they're like, you know, basically, I don't know if they're doing it on purpose, but to me, it's conserving energy. You know, they're, they're, they're covering a vast area with their nose. They don't have to run through the whole bedding area, you know? Yeah. So I, so that buck, I, I, I figured, I realized that, you know, if I could get an east wind, I could get him coming down that creek system with, with, you know, where he's scent checking everything that's down there. And, and even though it wasn't, wasn't really a good setup because my wind's blowing right into the freaking bedding area where the does are supposed to be, you know? So, but, uh, you know, he, <laughs> that's what I, that, that's how I ended up killing him was on the 4th of November of, uh, 2018. He, he came down and, you know, we had had rain for God that year it rained for like six or seven days, just nonstop. It was relentless. And it just, you know, I was so bummed because I was trying to bounce around the farm and I'd, I'd, I'd set up and I'd check a couple cameras in that area of the farm and I'd, nope, he isn't here, you know, then I'd do it again in another area. And, and I'm like, man, he, over the years, I've gotten pictures of him walking down along this creek and, you know, it's always with the crosswinds and we got this east wind. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try that. So I went in there. It was pouring on the third and I went in there with my lone wolf alpha and I put it up in the tree and I, and I, and I ended up uh, coming back the next morning and it was this total bluebird, cold, crisp, you know, the, uh, my scent was rising and I was dropping the milkweed, you know, the thermals were rising. And, uh, you know, the funny thing is, is I had these does blow at me, you know, first thing in the morning. And, then, and that's the second time I've had that happen on a mature buck that I had does blowing at me. And instead of getting upset about it both times that i saw i shot super freak and that boss hog buck after does had been blowing and you know i think that they're just like you know to them it was the dinner bell or whatever they're like oh there's a doe yeah. over there you know what i mean like he them does blew and it wasn't long after that he came through and then to make matters worse when he came through he was on a trail that was that was further up than what i wanted to shoot so i grabbed my i went and grabbed a, a mu can out of my pocket and dropped it and it hit the freaking stand and hits the ground and when the when it hit the ground he turned and came right down the trail i needed him to like he thought that that you know i heard a doe snort and now i just heard something on in the leaves down there i mean that's what i think was going through his mind i can't prove it but you know and he came in and i just you know shot him right in the heart he ran like 40 yards and fell over dead but uh you know and i'm just like oh my god that's all it took. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you know, if I'd have known that, I'd have been dropping my bleed can out of the tree four years before that. 
Yeah, <laughs> that's 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 hilarious. And so when you were saying, like you were saying, all oh, that deer um, would travel in the crosswinds. Explain a little bit what you're talking about with him um, traveling like along the, the the creek there and being able to to uh, basically smell all around him. Explain what you meant by that. Okay, well, the the bedding area was to my west, and mm-hmm. and and it's really thick, and it's about ten acres, and you know, I noticed in the past that he traveled, and I'm not saying just on an east wind, not, not, not at all, but I noticed that he traveled a, a particular trail that went from the northeast. It kind of came down along, and, and all, you know, because the creek has bends in it and that, he, he, he didn't come straight down the creek, but he comes kind of like from the, the northwest down and, and, and transitioned down like to the southeast, and he crossed the creek down past me, you know, where I was at. I was right on the very transition of the bedding area. I was right, right where all the thick, you know, it's like full of multiflora rows and, and white oaks, swamp white oaks, and, you know, kind of marshy and mushy and stuff in there, but really thick. Like you can barely walk through it. And he came right down that transition where the more uh, uh, open oaks and stuff were. Uh, and that way, you know, because the wind was blowing out of the east, he could smell, you know, whatever was coming, whatever was in that, um, you know, in the bedding area is what what I was thinking. So that's that's what he was doing. He was just walking down, scent checking, you know, down along the creek. Yeah. No, that, no, that's, it's, it's crazy because, you know, there, there's something that always stuck in my mind um, that was told, told me by my family, my dad and, and my uncle, uh, Francie specifically, they told, they'd always said white tails and, and creek bottoms. Like, it's just like this thing. And mm-hmm. that's, and you've, and you probably heard a little bit of us, talking about it you know on the on the podcast before and and mm-hmm. like crick bottoms are just like they're in the rut i i've killed more deer in crick bottoms than anywhere else and like especially like those thick you know wide crick bottoms that that have like just all that thick cover down in there like i always find does bedding in those places are off to one side and and mm-hmm. it's it's like and, and another thing you you'd mentioned you know with like with beaver ponds and everything there, like all of those things combined just like are to me, I see one of those areas and it's just like, I just start smiling. Like whether it's in the spring or whenever it is, I'm like, this is, this is it. <laughs> oh yeah. Those Creek systems are like highways for them when it's a rut. And, and, and they love, like if you get a setup on a beaver levy where they, where they dam up like the, the, the one spot, you know, it's, it's a real kind of like deep, slow moving Creek. That's maybe 30 feet or maybe, um, I don't know. 20 yards wide or whatever, something like that, 60 feet wide. And, um, you know, the, when the beavers dam that up, them deer, you know, that's, and when they're going from one side of the creek to the other, they're, they're, they're crossing right there. So it, it, it you know, it almost makes it like shooting fish in the barrel, you know I mean? <laughs> it, it, you know what I mean? Cause, because yeah. they have to come through there for whatever reason, they just don't want to go through that. They don't want to jump down because you know, the higher bank creek, you know, and it's deep. So it's like they're just going to cross and where the old beaver levees are, where it's more shallow or right on the outside of a, you know, where a bend in, in the creek, where, where a creek would oxbow, you know, and, and uh, when, the, when the water comes out of that oxbow, you know, it, it deposits gravel and stuff, you know, and so the, it's shallower right there. So there'll be like riffles a lot of times or whatever. They'll, they'll come through right there, you know, you find stuff like that. That's really good for hunting in a rut if you're going to be, you know, looking for bucks cruising. Well, I'm shooting a new bow this year and I am pumped. After playing around with a buddy's Hoyt RX-8, 
The smile on my face made the decision for me. The first thing I noticed with the new Hoyts were their extremely smooth draw cycles and the ability to adjust the back wall to make it rock solid like I prefer. I outfitted my own RX-8 with the inline accessories that made installation extremely easy and balanced out the bow. My favorite accessory so far is a simple one. It's the GoStix 2.0 adjustable legs to make your bow like a tripod, but it doesn't interfere with any part of the bow or the limbs or anything like that. In addition, the integrated kickstand within the HBX Exact Cams protect your string from excess wear when you put your cam into the dirt. Ground hunting or spot and stock just got easier. If you want to experience what I'm talking about, head to your nearest Hoyt dealer and take a test drive yourself. You can learn more at Hoyt.com. The Mobile Hunters Expo is a consumer-based hunting show unlike any other. It provides an interactive learning experience where you can try all things mobile hunting and learn from the best in the business. Come experience an unbiased, community-based environment where you can improve your hunting skills and find the right equipment for your needs. I'll be speaking at the Nor'easter Show in Mannheim, Pennsylvania at Spooky Nook Sports from August 9th to 11th, 2024. So come check it out at, or either of the other shows in uh, Michigan and Georgia. You can purchase tickets online at the mobilehuntersexpo.com or grab tickets at the door. I'll see you there. Yeah. You, you know, that that's a, there's a spot that I'm thinking of in my head that it was it's probably the only probably the only spot that I've hunted where I've shot multiple deer out of the same tree and it was a spot just like that so there's like a beaver pond right to my back and like if so if you're thinking about it let's just it actually does run north to south so like the creek flows from north to south and then just to the south of the tree i'd set up there's uh, a beaver pond there and it's like it's perfect one from like even like the wind standpoint because you got your thermals that are coming down that that creek and then like they hit that especially when it's cold out then like it hits that beaver pond like even like your scent and it just goes straight up like in the mornings everything mm-hmm. just ri- all the thermals just rise and that water's yep. you know that that body of water is warmer than the air is and it's just causing that to go up and you feel like almost invincible in those spots and like i i think i'm thinking of it in this spot there was uh there was some gravel because right on an oxbow like you're talking about there and there was i've not and so I, i've killed two deer out of the tree and i've missed two deer out of the tree and uh <laughs> the one the one that i miss is one that i'll never never forget about some of the early listeners will remember this deer i called hercules and and uh he was he ended up being over 170 inches when by the time wow. he ended up d- dying but at the time that i that i shot him or i i basically clipped his leg just underneath i'd shot low and misjudged yardage but it, he was he was in the 160s at that point it was the biggest deer i'd ever shot at and and mm-hmm. uh he came he came right down that creek and was going across that that crossing there and then the same thing with this other deer this old wide low tine deer that i missed it like i don't know it was really it was pretty close but um i just got so shooken up when i when he appeared because it's it's tough along those creeks sometimes to be able to hear um which is mm-hmm. kind of uh uh can be d- d- detrimental to you at some points Oh yeah, yeah. Well, the, the ones that I'm hunting aren't more, aren't really like the. I don't know if it, because you're hunting more mountainous area. There's probably cold. The creek is probably colder, colder temperature of water, and maybe not running as fast. I'm not. I'm just assuming. I don't know. But the ones I'm 
punting um, are like slower moving, you know, creeks. So like the one, th- okay. the one spot that I've shot a couple of Pope and young bucks out of this one particular uh, spot where there's a bend in the Creek. You know, I, I said before you could, you could watch the same leaf, you know, float in the water in front of you for 12 hours in the freaking tree stand. You know, it, it, the body, the water don't move fast because it's been dammed up by the beavers in so many spots. You know what I mean? Uh, and, and, okay. but, but the nice thing about that, and I figured this out back in like the mid 2000s, was when I hunted, you know, areas like that, you know, if you know how in the in the evening time when, uh, you know, the, the wind dies down a lot of days, you know, if you don't have a high wind day, you know, you got to make sure you're set up on the right side of a, of a funnel like that and be close to the water because, you know, for whatever reason, that water pulls your scent towards it, you know. So if you were on the other side of the, the trail, you, your, your scent would be blowing right across the trail. But you get up in the tree right up against like a slow-moving body of water like that and your scent pulls towards that water, you know. Mm-hmm. So Yeah. It, it, it's yeah it's 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 pretty amazing once you just and and those are things like you you learn like from just spending time there and trying it mm-hmm. you know? it takes i'm sure you learned uh, being on the wrong side of the trail from experience and like oh, oh yeah you know, you know, like that's, that's that's how you learn those things exactly <laughs> oh that's 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 um that's crazy that story of um of boss hog and like that you know that many years of of hunting them did you did you find that like when you were running cameras and stuff that was like a similar time of year that he would come back into that that area yeah, or was it, it... yeah exactly i mean like uh, and just him just like some other bucks in that area that they're they're around you get a few photos of them in the summertime, you know, on the beans or whatever, but they're not always on that farm, you know, and then you, you don't get a picture of them until about the 15th of October or so. And then you start getting pictures of them in that Halloween up through the first week of November timeframe. And then, then he, then he pulls a, a Houdini on you and then he's gone, <laughs> you know, for, you know, then you're, then you're thinking, Oh my God, he got shot. He got killed during gun. You, you don't know. Then he shows back up in late season. You know, and it's just, it's just crazy. The, 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 as, as much as the deer travel around here, I mean, and as thick as it is, you would think that they wouldn't have to. But I'm going to tell you about this buck I was hunting in Northeast Ohio. It um, was very, uh, uh, what do you say, distinguishable because he had splits on his twos and his threes, and he had a torn ear. So this buck, um, I had bitten pictures of him on our farm in uh, late season for um four years and you know i figured he was you know a good probably six-year-old or maybe maybe older okay so he would come right after he'd start showing up right around gun season because everybody you know is, is pushing deer in northeast ohio it's a deer deer drives so when those guys start driving the deer i get these bucks that show up every year right after gun season and uh, or during gun season even but uh th- so anyhow this year when gun season came around and I didn't get any pictures of him, I'm like, man, I wonder why he, he didn't come around, you know, maybe he got killed or whatever. So I'm down talking to an Amish guy one day and, uh, after gun was over and, uh, he's telling me about this buck that he's like, Oh, you should have seen the one that got shot down the road. Hey, eh? it had splits on the twos and the threes and the, and, uh, they were hunting it a few years. They knew about it cause it had a ripped deer. I'm like, no way. And he's like, yeah. <laughs> and here that was six and a half miles from where our farm is that buck was shot in the middle of October. That's why we never, ever got any pictures of him. But, uh, so he was Holy probably cow. living. 
he was probably living um, in where he got shot in October. I'm saying that's probably where he lived. And then he would travel as far as six and a half miles. Cause I had pictures of him for four years in a row. You know, I mean, I'd get pictures of him, uh, you know, a random picture in October or whatever. I mean, he, he, he came down looking for does too, but you know, and I have a few bucks like that, that don't, they come, they come through and it's always right around the same time frame. In fact, this year I had a buck I called TD that I've been hunting for three years and he's got these like 12 inch brow times and he's just a giant. And he, oh. he, I mean, he's a monster. And he, he, uh, last year on the, it was the 14th of October, a cold front blew in, in 2021. And my son, my older son had a football game on a Thursday. And man, it, I thought, I said to myself, man, I'm telling you right now, TD is going to come through that spot. I know he's going to come through there. And it was frigging cold. I'm sitting at that football game, just getting sleeted on and stuff rain you know and i'm just like oh my and then when i go and check the cameras there he was you know 10 15 minutes before 10 15 minutes before it gets uh um dark it gets dark out so then this year in 2020 this that was 2020 now this year in 2021 the same freaking thing to the same it was it was a different date but it was the thursday of the same week so it was actually basically 365 days later I'm at my kid's football game in the same kind of crap. And doesn't that buck walk right past that exact same camera again? There's a cell camera this time and it goes off and I, and I'm looking at the picture of him, and I'm thinking, you know, what, what did I do to deserve this? But yeah, that's. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. You're going to, you're going to have a choice to make this year. <laughs> yeah. So, so if he's still alive, I can tell you where I'm going to be on the 14th of October. I don't care if it's 75 degrees out. I'm going to be there. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. Oh man, <laughs> that's that's hilarious. <laughs> oh, that's that's funny. So like you know, over over the years of uh, hunting, you know, specific deer and learning all of these things. What what are some of the things like you'd say like you're if you had to like point it out and be like, those are some of the top lessons that that I've learned. You know, you know whether it's you know something with your scouting or how you're hunting. Is there anything that comes to your mind that that you think would be beneficial to people to to mention? Well, one thing um, for sure with these particular bucks is unless they actually live on your farm, so like they're there all the time. Don't stress that you're. And, and and I know this goes against what a lot of people say, but don't stress about your pressure in the spot too much because first of all, I've had bucks that were actually, you know, actually kind of in their core area and I haven't pushed them out by hunting them. And then second, these bucks that only come through in a certain time frame, if you're hunting a specific buck, if he's only coming through in say the last few days of October, the first couple of days of November, you're not going to hurt nothing by being there you know, scouting or checking a camera or whatever you need to do, looking for sign, looking for tracks. You're not going to hurt nothing by, by going through there. I mean, you don't want to act like, you know, an idiot. You're not going to go pull a motor out of your car and just walk around, you know, with oil all over your boots or whatever. But, you know, you just, you know, be tactical about it. But I, I, I used to get too paranoid. Like I was afraid to hunt at some points in my life. Like I was, I was so afraid to go and do things and try stuff because everybody tells you in these articles and stuff, how you, you, you know, you can't do this and you can't do that. When it comes to deer hunting, you can just basically do whatever, because, you know, <laughs> I've seen so many strange things happen by me and friends of mine that 
there's no there's no uh, written in stone method or you know technique or a taboo that you can and can't do. I mean, you can you can kill a deer pretty much any way. So I guess what you t- <laughs> taking a long time telling you this. Don't be no, afraid. Perfect to, to actually hunt that buck down because you know you've got to go in there and capitalize when you have the chance. Because if you wait, you may never get the chance. Yeah, you know, and, so. and that that uh, what you just said there, like that's that speaks directly to me at times. Because like I feel like it that I'm a, a decently aggressive hunter, but I've realized that my weakness is when I, I've been hunting a specific deer. And when I say I'm hunting a specific deer, I've shot other deer while hunting this specific deer. But when I yeah. was trying to hunt this deer, like I I caught myself like being afraid of doing something because I was real, I was pretty sure on like some areas that I thought he was living in. And I was so afraid of like pushing in at the wrong times and trying to wait Mm -hmm. for the right times. And that, that can get, that can be detrimental to it. Like kind of like you were saying there. Yeah. Well, see it, it, um, like that buck's super freak that I was hunting his, his core area kind of like he, he bedded mostly, off of off of the farm i was hunting but but not far off like he was up on there was a, a hill and and the neighbors baited the shit out of the deer like they had feeders and friggin' tubes hanging out of trees and you know the ladder stands <laughs> next to corn piles all over the place so that buck basically I, they didn't know it but he basically you know stayed up there and watched every move they made you know so yeah. um and 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 the other problem was on the property that i hunted right on the border of it there was a big beaver dam that went through there and there was guys duck hunting it all the freaking time, you know, and it just, it just drove you nuts because, and, and I, I wanted to kill this buck so freaking bad for three years. And I'm just like the first two years, I'm like, you know what? I can't, I can't hunt them because we got all these duck hunters over here. These guys are freaking throwing out 50 pounds of corn every day over here. You know, I'll never get them. <laughs> He's never going to walk in daylight. Right. But what I had done that second year I was hunting and the year before I killed him, which he actually had a bigger rack that year. I don't know what happened why, why he went down a little bit, but um, the year before I killed him, I went and put out like cameras, you know, just to try to see where he was coming on and off the property. And the one, one day I went down to get it and I couldn't find it. I thought it was stolen. So I'm back there in the spring. Now this is the spring of the year. I ended up killing him. I'm there in the spring and I'm walking along, you know, turkey hunting. And I look over, and I'm like, holy shit, there's my camera. <laughs> so I take that camera down and I find out that this buck had walked through there in daylight between, it was like the 4th of November and like the 10th or the 12th of November. He went through down this one trail. It goes through this, uh, you know, this, uh, basically a red brush or dogwood, whatever you want to call it. And, uh, he was going down this real thick stuff. I had put a camera there because I had seen big tracks on it that year. And he went daylighted it like three times. So I'm like, all right, I'm not even going to hunt this spot until the day where the first time I got a daylight photo of him last year, I'm going to start hunting it. So I waited till like November 4th or whatever. And I went in there and on the second sit, I I sat, I had a creek, a a small cedar creek that was no more than like three feet wide that snaked down this little ravine that I could walk down to get, to get down to where this spot, this trail was that he was, that he had been walking the previous year. And I, and I, so I like, I, my boots never touched dirt. You know, I walked yeah. right to the, down that Creek and I climbed up the tree and it, as luck would have it, I had a, a really good wind you know, for, and I ended up hunting that stand like six days in a row all day long. 
and I saw him twice. And, and on the ninth of November, um, I had he came in behind me, actually straight downwind of me with a doe, and I snort wheezed him up to like ten yards. He came in the back of the tree, and right when I and it had been raining, and right when I drew back, my bow made a little squeak, and he looked right up at me, and he was ten yards, like he was one step away, and he turned. And, and took a couple of leaps and went right back over to the dough. I mean, like that was the most sick feeling I've ever had. Oh. So, so, but the thing of it was the two times I saw him and that, you know, that day, and I had seen him uh, the morning of the seventh, both times he walked by a particular cherry tree that was um, right, you know, maybe 20 yards, 30 yards in off of the, off the neighboring property. And he, what he was doing is he's cutting through the cattails coming across the swamp through the cattails and coming into that property, I watched. I watched him go there twice. So, so I went there with my lone wolf and climbed up in the tree on the fourth. It was the evening of the fourteenth. I got there at like one thirty in the afternoon, and I went there and I got up in that tree. And it's, it wasn't long after I got up in that tree, this this doe starts. And it might, it might have been around two thirty. This doe just starts snorting like mad, and I'm just like there's no way she can't smell me. I mean, my wind's blowing right over the swamp. She can't, you know, what is she yeah. snorting at? Well, here there was that year. It was that year. There happened to be a bunch of big bucks in that school. I knew real well, and he's walking down and doesn't he go under the tree that I just spent six days hunting, walks right <laughs> under it. So, so he's there. What the doe was snorting at was she evidently heard him because she, the way the wind was blowing, she couldn't have smelled him. But she must have heard him, and and um, so she started carrying on, and then he, you know, starts going, coming down after, her, and I'm like, oh man, I got to do something. He ain't coming this way. So I usually don't call, but I I got out my grunt call. I tried that. I mean, I was throwing the kitchen sink at him. I had a rattle bag in my pouch. I got that out. I'm like, you know, clicking that around, and and he he didn't he didn't care. You know, he's he's chasing her around up in the apple trees, and I'm like, man. And then I hear a deer coming. It was real quiet, you know, and I hear this deer coming and here comes this little fawn and she's walking right down the transition uh, along the edge of the, uh, the cattails and where I was set up in that cherry tree. And she's walking right at me and I hear this grunting and I'm like, all right, you know, maybe this is super freak, hopefully. And here it's another, you know, like 130 inch eight point right on her tail. And he's following her. And I'm just like, you know what? It's the 14th of November. I, I, this buck gives me a shot. I'm shooting him. I, I, you know, I mean, I'm I'm yeah. out of vacation. I don't want to gun hunt. You know, I mean, I'm, I'm not against gun hunting, but I mean, I'd rather just you know let's end it now. You know what I mean? And uh, so he's walking up, and I'm getting ready to, to get drawn back on this buck. And I hear something. I could hear the water swashing behind me in the cattails. I could just hear something walking, real slow. And you know, <laughs> the 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 fawn steps into the cattails to my left and this buck is like 30 yards behind her, but he's walking straight at me this, this 130 inch the other one he's up there chasing the doe around grunting and stuff and, and i hear this buck walking be, i hear this deer walking behind me and as soon as that fawn goes into those cattails it sounded like something exploded i mean he started chasing her the super freak starts chasing her through the cattails you know through the through the muck comes running out and ends up stopping right directly. She, the fawn's like on one side of the tree. And I, luckily I drew back when I heard him coming, you know, I knew it was a buck cause he was grunting. And, it, and it, when I looked down through my peep and saw it was him and he was like six yards away from me, I was like, Oh my God, 
couldn't believe it. Yeah. And, <laughs> and, and just smoked them. And then the thing of it is, is like when he ran, the arrow was sticking, uh, sticking up out of him. You know, it looked to me like kind of far back, you know, and I'm like, Oh my God. So I had a lighted knock and he ran over onto the neighbors and there was a goldenrod field right there. And I, 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 you know, I'm, I didn't notice the knock at first. I stayed in the tree. And then I, then as it started getting dark, I could see the knock glowing. And don't you know, I sat in that tree for five hours. I called off of work and sick. I sat up there for five hours in the dark looking at that <laughs> knock because when, because when the um, goldenrod would sway in the wind, it looked like the knock was moving. So I thought he was alive. So I went back the next morning and, you know, sure enough, I mean, there was a blood trail that a blind man could have followed it. <laughs> I wouldn't even look, yeah. but I was so paranoid, you know, I, I tiptoed out of there. It was funny. Oh, but yeah, that was a satisfying cow. feeling. Yeah. I had three Pope and young bucks chasing around a couple of does, you know, on the 14th of, of November, you know, it's just anything can happen, you know, after a doe snorting, you know? Yeah, I love I love the the fact that both of those deer that we talked about the stories here had to do with the the doe snorting, and and that's and then like that's a day in the in the tree that you know we dream about right there having bucks oh, chasing no around doing that like oh it gets me just fired up even though it's February it just gets me <laughs> so excited yeah that's what we live for you know. Yeah, no, it, it it definitely is. And like, it just, th- those, it's, it's hilarious because like, you know, when you'd hunted, what was it? You said six days prior to that, you know, yeah, and, I, well, uh, I, hunted, and I hunted six days in a row and then I had like a day or two that I wasn't in there and then I went in and, and shot. Yeah. Four but like you had all those other days of probably a lot of like, just law and not much action, you know, and then, then you have something like that. And it's like, that's, that's why we do it. Exactly. Yeah. Because I, I, I mean, I did, I did see him on two of those sits and the first morning I passed up a really nice nine point that the first morning I sat there, he came down, you know, just like read the script, ripped apart a bunch of trees, you know, made a scrape, kicked stuff everywhere. And I'm like, Nope, I'm not shooting him. I'm waiting. You know? Um, I mean, now if that, if that buck would have been there on the 14th before the super freak, I probably would have shot him, but yeah. you know, that, that <laughs> on that first sit, I was like, no, nah, I'm not going to shoot him. And I, normally a buck I would have shot, but I didn't, but I guess what I was trying to say is, you know, you, you know, there's a situation where, uh, a buck that I put pressure on didn't leave and I still ended up killing him. So I hunted six days in a row all day long and I had it out, you know, definitely helped quite a bit with being able to hunt that many days in a row. I had good wind, which helped, you know, but he also saw me in the tree, you know what I mean? But he still, I shot him not a hundred yards from where he saw me in the tree, maybe 80 yards. You know, I just, I just moved over, you know, and got on the trail that he was coming on. Yeah. Oh man, that's, that's, <laughs> that's awesome. And, and just like the, 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 I think like, you know, with you saying, you know, having patience and being able to, to do that and, and, you know, and, and I think one thing that you said there just makes you think like, you know, deer, we get, we give the deer a little bit more credit than, uh, sometimes, mm-hmm. you know, than, than they may deserve, like it's, as far as like, you know, thinking, you know, overthinking it, I guess. No, I, yeah, I've said this before and I was on the podcast with Chad uh, over there. Uh, he, he, you know, same thing. I, I we sometimes like outthink ourselves in, in these 
these deer, you know, we, we think that, that, you know, they're all MIT grads, you know what I mean? Like, you know, I mean, yeah, they're survivors and they're smart. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that it's easy to go out and kill mature bucks or whatever, but you know, when it's all said and done, they have, they still, they have to eat, they have to breed and they have to move. And, you know, so you, you just have to be there and then try to figure it out, you know, it, it can happen anytime. That's the great thing about bow hunting is it, it, any, any second, your whole season can change around, you know? Yeah, so. no, that's, that's so true. Is there, so is there anything else that you can think of that you want to leave the listeners with here as far as anything else, any words of advice, any words of wisdom that you've learned over the, the years that you want to leave this off with? Well, I mean, my advice would be hunt mobile, um, you know, so that you can you know, put yourself in, in, in the right situations, you know, most of all, and, 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 and uh, don't rely on trail cameras. You know, only, you know, I mean, use it as you have to use trail. And this is what I try to tell these young guys that I've, you know, I've had these guys that I used to um, go to the shows for United Bow Hunters of Pennsylvania and sit in the booth and try to get people signed up for the UBP. And, you know, I take my, I have a 180 inch buck that I shot over in New York with a muzzleloader that I have mounted life size. And we'd put that up on the table and everybody gawk at it like, Ooh, you know, and then we'd be like, Hey, yeah. you never hear of the United Bow Hunters of PA, you know? Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I, I've met some young, I've met some young guys that way. And, and, and I, I one thing I always would tell them and, and, and is, you know, you can't, because now hunting trail cameras, you can't just look at those trail cameras and hunt off of that. You have to, you can use it, but you can't just hunt off of it because, you know, it, too much gets missed, you know, and, and, and the deer could be one side or the other of it. So, you know, be mobile and don't just worry about trail cameras. I mean, this year I, for the first time ran cell cameras. I had five of them out and I put camera, uh, a, a static, you know, it's like a regular camera with situation like, and, and um, you would not believe the amount of stuff that gets missed on a cell camera. I mean, now of course I'm not running the, the real great ones. You know, I was just using tacticams, but you know, while they're sending that photo, you know, they're not sending another, you know, they might take a picture, but they're not sending another photo. I mean, several, several different bucks that never, I never got the pictures of until I pulled the cards on the cell cameras and the cards on the regular cameras. And I seen all the stuff I was missing. So that's just cell cameras. Now you want to talk about just, you know, a regular trail camera. I, I've taken them and put in uh, lots of times, three or four of them in a small area and pointed them different directions. And, you know, some deer will avoid them totally. They'll walk around them. The, you know, or, or, you know, you, you, you get the picture of the, of a doe running by, you don't see the buck. I mean, you just can't go off of cell cameras or trail cameras alone. So yeah. that's, I think one of the biggest problems with younger hunters and people coming up, you know, into the hunting now is, uh, they, they rely too much of their scouting relies on trail camera photos. If they're, they're, they're getting out of their stands and going and checking cameras when they should be hunting, you know, yeah. and scouting and looking for sign, looking for you know, uh, a track in the mud, don't lie, you know? So, yeah, that's, I guess that's, that's one of my things of advice I could give the people is just, you know, anybody, not just young guys, but, you know, because I've, I've got myself in the same trap where I'm like, well, geez, I haven't gotten any pictures. That's, I said that earlier in the podcast, you know, I haven't had a picture of a TD since November 8th. That doesn't really mean that, you know, they clear cut a piece of woods right across the street. He may have been in there all year after that. I don't yeah. know, you know, so yeah no i think that's i think that's such good advice for anybody and and it comes down to the whole you know i i think 
you know, all the gear and stuff that's out there. And I rely on a lot of that stuff too, but it's like, that's their, their tools. They're not, they're not everything when it comes to, comes to hunting. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Awesome. Well, Mike, thank you so much for coming on and, and talking to me here and helping everybody out. Like, I think that's just such, I think that's, uh, that's, that's awesome that you were willing to do this. <laughs> no problem. Anytime. All right. Well, thanks. We'll talk to you later, Mike. All right, man. Bye-bye. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of East Meets West Hunt with your host, Bo Martonic. For more great content and to stay up to date, visit eastmeetswesthunt.com, Facebook at East Meets West Outdoors, and Instagram at East Meets West Hunt. If you enjoyed today's episode, please review and subscribe, and we'll catch you next time.